You're listening to Arrowhead Radio. He doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us because he's good. You can't steer a boat that's not moving. We, need, we as Christians, we need to start opening our mouths. And it says that he who believes on the Son has life, and he that does not believe um, does not have life, and the wrath of God abides on him. Uh, to me, one of the greatest things God did to me was give me peace. Give me a hope. Give me a promise. And I thought, I have eternal life. I'm I'm bound for heaven and it's it's forever. I'm Mark Dana. And I'm Venus Cote. And this is Hope to the Nations. Hello Venus. Hi Mark. How are you? I'm good. Beautiful day here at Arrowhead. Yes, and today we have Toby with us. To- Toby Russo. Yes. Hi guys. Hello. I'm Mark and Hello, Venus. Toby. Listeners, don't let them fool you. They were just <laughs> arm wrestling here, and <laughs> now they're playing nice. <laughs> no, it's great to for, be here. For right now, anyway. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, you're good, Toby. <laughs> Welcome to the, the podcast. Thank you. you. You guys have done good. You fed me <laughs> and welcomed me and great conversation and good company. Can't mm. wait to get into. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to call Victor Summers out right now because, when, as you know, our church, Eastside Church, owns a, um, a coffee shop, oh. Delicious Coffee Eastside East Cafe, Creative Grounds. And when I went to go do the podcast with Victor and Sam Rushton, uh-huh. I had to buy my own coffee. Oh, no. Well, we provide coffee here. We're very gracious. And pie and soup. So that was my little dig at Victor. (laughs) Well, he can come down and visit us sometime. Actually, glad you mentioned that. I called Victor before I got here just to ask for guidance, and we prayed together so Mm -hmm. that my, my hope was that the Holy Spirit would just speak through me and help me get the message across to whoever's listening, because we really don't know who's listening, right? No, we don't. Um, So I just, my hope is that um, whatever people hear from me, that it helps in in any capacity. Okay, now we know who Victor is, but they don't know who Victor is. Who's Victor? Oh, sorry. Victor Summers is one of the two shantymen from the Shantymen podcast, Check them out and rate them. Yeah, yeah. We'll just (coughs) give a shameless plug there for Victor. (laughs) But Victor is my pastor from Eastside Church in Miramichi, New Brunswick. Wonderful man. Yeah. Chatham. Yeah. When I was living there. Chathamer. I wasn't living in Chatham, but I was living in the Miramichi. His wife is Jody, Jody Summers, lovely woman. She's American. I can't remember which state, but. She's full-blown Canadian by now, living with Victor Summers. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Toby, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? And you're from 
eel ground. Yes. And, uh, <clears throat> okay, sure. So my name is Toby Leah Russo and I'm from eel ground first nation and in Micmac, that is Natawahanek first nation. I hope I did that justice. But I, um, so would you like me to kind of go into the backstory and then lead up to sure. my um, coming to Christ? Sure. That would be great. Okay. So there's a bit of a backstory, and Mark, I told you guys at mm -hmm. the dinner table yeah. a little bit about that. But <clears throat> so I was born to my First Nations mother. She's passed on name now. Her name is Anne Darlene Simon. Um, and during that time, I'm 38 years old. So back in the eighties, the 60 scoop was still happening and kids were still being taken away from the communities and placed into non first nations foster care or adopted families. Mm -hmm. So yep. my mom and my bio, my biological mom, Anne had uh, some serious uh, childhood trauma happened to her and that led to her alcoholism and other issues. So I'm maybe I'm going way too far back, but I'm just trying to help the listeners have a better understanding of how exactly that generational type trauma can happen. Not just in First Nations, but in any culture, really. Yeah, and that's what we want to hear about. We <coughs> want to hear about where you're coming from, and not just where you're coming from, but your family and uh, yeah, you know, like there's a whole context, right? Yeah, how everything kind of comes together. Yeah. And Venus, I listened to your um, personal story on the podcast, and we know each other a little bit, although I've forgotten many of my um, experiences. But that's a whole nother podcast. Right. So, um, oh, where was I? You're talking about your, your mother. mom. Oh, yeah, right. So my mom uh, had four children when she was very young. And the more I learn about my biological mom, the more I understand where she was coming from at that time when she had me and my brothers. <clears throat> she really didn't have support at home. I think my grandmother, Susie, she's passed on for many years now, uh, also dealt with alcoholism and probably residential school survivor No, she was trauma. a residential school survivor. Yeah, my mom was as well. Also? Yeah, oh, okay. in um, Nova Scotia. Yeah, Shubenacadie. Yeah, so she she never talked about that. But aside from the residential school uh, trauma, she survived other trauma that she never really discussed. And Why is it you think that <coughs> she didn't bring that up? There were, I think when there's secrets or when there's certain types of trauma, there's so much shame that comes along with trauma and the fear of being vulnerable right. can really over shadow anything else like 
talking about it. Or because this is, these <coughs> are really serious issues, right? Sh- mm-hmm. Serious hurts and yeah. abuses. Uh, for, yeah. So, for example, um, my mom, when I first, wait, hang on, sorry guys. So, just a disclaimer to the listeners, um, I get a little bounced around with my conversation because I, since brain surgery, I struggle with AD, ADD and take medicine for it. But I also, because of my brain surgery and stroke, I lose um, my words. And just talking with Venus and I, that has a, you know, a tendency to happen too because we have an act, that kind of effect on people. <laughs> yeah. It's like the dog that sees a squirrel all the time. Like, <laughs> could be talking and they're like, oh, squirrel. <laughs> you know. That's, that's interesting. That's kind of like us. Yeah. 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 I always just wanted to make a little disclaimer myself. Like when I said serious abuse or serious hurts. Like yeah. I mean, every hurt is serious, right? Every abuse is serious. Yeah. So there's no really a scale, so to speak. No, no. It's just like grief. You can't really put a a number from zero to 10 on grief, same with abuse and, and pain is pain. And when effect, when it affects the heart, it, it, there's, uh, um, it's just, there's just so much, uh, sometimes that a person, uh, doesn't know how to cope or, (coughs) or deal with it. So they, they turn to drugs or they turn to alcohol and and uh just mm-hmm. to try to deal with uh the pain in their life yeah or and shame is also another issue right oh yes yeah um so my mom had uh my big brother walter and then so he was taken away and he was born well when he was born he had blonde hair blue eyes and <clears throat> he was adopted out of province. Actually, he was adopted really? into um, Quebec. Guess Kabigia, Mariah, oh, Quebec. Oh, right. Yes, I know you that You might know is, yeah. Mariah. Yeah. Uh, but to a native family. Oh, cool. Um, so he did have culture, but he didn't have his, like, natural family, right? Like his... Yeah, he was adopted. He was ad- So his belly button family. <laughs> mm. yeah. Biological family. And then she had, um, there was another son, but he died during birth. And I don't think she named him, but um, there was another child. So there was, there's another hurt, right? And another, maybe that death of the baby brought shame to her as well, which may have increased her um, dependence on alcohol and that sort of thing. And then there's me after the the baby had died died and then there after me was one more brother Cyrus and Cyrus I call him my favorite atheist because <laughs> he's <clears throat> he's not a believer but um it seems like every time we chat on uh messenger or text or even phone call and visit mm-hmm. we end up talking about god which i think is awesome because he thinks, he told me one time, he said, I just love how you have this blind faith. And I thought, oh, wow, blind faith. It's not that way at all because, sure, I may not have seen God in, in 
flesh. In the flesh, or, you know, can't see the Holy Spirit. But I've seen prayers answered. I've seen um, lives changed. Mm. Those tangible things that you can recall and talk about and experience, right? Right. So... That's a good, that's a good explanation, really. Yeah. And it's great when somebody interacts, you know, no matter, you know, like what they do, at least they're engaging the subject. Oh, right? yeah. And I find that. We challenge each other. I mean, I'm not a, a big theology um, student or anything like that. I'm just a regular, a regular person. I just read the Bible and I believe in Jesus Christ and what God had sent him to do for us. Mm-hmm. And I just rely on the word to express that to other people. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so going back to m- sort of my history, my mom had lost all three of us, me and my two brothers, to um, Chalam Family Services. Um, one reason was alcoholism, Another reason there was just no support for her, yeah. like there is nowadays, you know, child and family services and those sorts of things. She just didn't Social have workers. the the community um, and the help of her family. Really, her, you know, everyone had has their own lives, right? Mm. Not everyone signs up to raise other people's children, and um, so we were taken away. Walter grew up in a great family. Cyrus also grew up in a great family. I grew up in a great family, but had bad things happen to me. Mm -hmm. I I can't discount my whole childhood over one horrible traumatic experience Mm -hmm. with my father, because that would just be a lie. I had a great childhood with six adopted brothers many foster kids were in and out of our home because my adoptive parents still fostered children. <clears throat> and we did a lot of awesome things. We grew up right on the river. And the I Miramichi spent... River. Miramichi River. And spent a lot of time outdoors, piling wood, playing hockey or soccer or volleyball, just depending on which season it was. And... Mom and dad would take us camping to like national parks every year. And I was the only girl in the family, so I was sort of favored in different ways. I got to bring a friend because I was the only girl and um, just had a good childhood. I have a lot of good memories. Unfortunately, a lot of those are gone because of my stroke and brain surgery. But <clears throat> the bad thing that happened, if I. Can I talk about that a little bit? I won't go into big detail. You, but you can. Okay. Um, Feel free. Okay, we have a nice big box of Kleenex here too. <laughs> so I don't want to upset any listeners, but I just think it's really important that it's okay to talk about um, yes. difficult subjects. And, and it also brings <clears throat> healing. Yeah, it can open up a wound but those wounds always dry up and heal, yeah. too. Especially when you're among friends. Yeah. Mark thinks he's my friend now. <laughs> I'm just talking about the greater audience. You know, oh, okay. Right now. Just because, just because like he photobombed a picture of me and Venus, he thinks we're friends now. 
<clears throat> I would like to someday. Be, uh, <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> I, I, that was a good one. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> yeah, you you enjoy that, Venus, don't you? Yeah, yeah I two do. Against it's, one. it's the East Coast. Um, now that I'm a maritimer. Yeah, yeah officially. <laughs> officially, now I heard. Yeah. Well, how long you been here now, Venus? Thirty years. Thirty-six years. Wow. Thirty-six years. That's yeah. That's going back there. That is. Yeah. That just says how old. How'd you get here? Anyways? You and you and Ruth Ann are. Is it Ruth Ann? Because she Ruth introduced Anna. Ruth Anna. Okay. Yes. I heard Venus calling her Ruth Anna, but she introduced herself as Ruth. Oh uh, yeah. So Ruth Anna. Yep. Okay. Ruth <coughs> Anna. Yeah. We're uh, yeah. We're people in the sixties now. Early, early sixties. Yeah. My mom Betty calls herself uh an observer. She gets to observe now. <laughs> oh okay. now that she's in her sixties, but yeah. she's hardly observing. She's living her best life ever. Uh, that's good. <clears throat> Mine that's is great. just beginning. Hey, there's right. great things to come. <laughs> so um see there's my squirrel moment okay, again. You're going back yeah. So I just want to touch briefly on uh what happened to me as a little girl in my home and what really brought me to Christ. So just very quickly, um my dad was um an army. Um he served in the armed forces and um was always he was a he was a good dad, just except for this this one thing. And um was very worldly and always brought um there was a, a local base in Miramichi where a lot of the right. army Chatham base. Yeah. yeah. So he would always be bringing home uh I, I just say Jamaican Jamaicans or Afri he would bring home people of all different cultures cultures and backgrounds and it was only because he wanted to have a big international soccer game in the backyard. <laughs> so he would bring lots of people home all the time. And um, <clears throat> we were just used to that. Dad was, um, he was a good dad. Um, and I've come to forgive my dad for, for hurting me the way he did. Hmm. Um, but that wasn't, of my own human um, ability. ability. That was yeah. through God and through a lot of prayer, a lot of tears. Mm. <clears throat> I don't know why, but as a kid, um, the elementary kids were always got home before the teenage kids from school. And um, I remember getting off the bus, getting home, <clears throat> me and Jonathan, who... Um, he was a, a foster child with autism that grew up in our family and um, now has been living with me for the last 20 years since I was um, 17. So Jonathan and I grew up like regular brother and sister. Um, so John and I got home on the early bus and just dad was home. And <clears throat> I was, every once in a while I'll, I'll get like, whoops, hit the, hit the boom. It's all right. I'll get little flashbacks of, 
things of of what happened and very strange how the mind works because I lost so many of my good memories but there's some things that just stuck you know mm. it's like it's too bad we couldn't pick and choose yeah mm. but who are you without your memories I guess it makes you who you are yeah. you know like when you asked me to tell the listeners about who I am mm -hmm. well you have to think about okay well who am I well, I am Toby, and Toby is what I remember. Like, my experiences, Venus, you are your experiences and um, how you grew from those, right? So, <clears throat> I remember getting home and nobody was in the house. Jonathan was probably just watching TV or playing a game or something. Uh, <clears throat> I was in this... In... Uh, I was in the spare room and uh, my dad starts, we just, we always like wrestled or what I thought was wrestling and he started tickling me and, and then it turned into something that I knew wasn't right. And I called for Jonathan, my brother, because anytime mm -hmm. I called for John, he would come. Yeah. Um, just how his brain worked. Jonathan is my foster brother with autism. So even to this day, if I call his name, he'll come and say yes or whatever. So yeah. I'm in this room and I remember the wallpaper in this room. This is how strange the brain works. I remember the, this, the ugliest wallpaper. You could like these little flower um, vase design in that room. And I can remember the room exactly how it was and just thinking in my little head like what is happening why is he doing this and so I called for Jonathan hoping that if Jonathan came in the room that it would just stop but John came in and he just shooed him away my dad and the abuse just kept happening and I called for Jonathan about three times, and I don't know how it stopped, but <clears throat> that's my memory of it. And it's awful. And that yeah, led, is. yeah, it led to my own personal battle with alcoholism and identity and not having a father, right? Like, you would think being adopted that you know these my adopted fathers had to sign a contract paperwork um go through the process of getting to know me proving to officials that he could be a good father and then and then choosing to do this and i say it's a choice because i couldn't in my right mind think how doing something like that would not be a choice and it's not like he didn't have the opportunity to stop because I know there were at least three times I called for Jonathan and he came in the room and interrupted what was happening and my dad had the opportunity to give his head a shake and just stop what he was doing yep. you know and I 
maybe would have, I, th- I was probably second grade. I don't know how old kids are. Uh, I was probably my little boy's age, six or seven. <clears throat> so I can forgive him as a human. I don't forgive the action hmm. because if, if it were to happen all over again, um, he he knows it was wrong. We all know that those type of violations are wrong. Mm. You know, it affects the relationship thereafter too, right? Oh yes, and big time. <clears throat> I kind of I don't I never told anyone at that time, but I did end up telling a teacher back when I was going to school. They used to do the stranger danger talk. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I remember one of my teachers did a video put on a VCR video and after class I had told her that something happened and um, after school that day I was so scared to get home because I knew that the school probably would have called my parents and did something at least maybe in the back of my mind and in my heart I had hoped that somebody would have listened and done something but I got home and it was just um, life as usual. You know, mom was cooking and all my brothers got home. My dad was there. It was just life as usual. And so life went on with everyone else. So life just went on with me. And I just learned to, you know, I just dismissed it. Like, okay, that's yesterday's news. And But that wasn't the end of it for me. Like, it's... Trauma sticks to you like a, like a spaghetti stain on a white shirt. You know, it's the mm. only way I can kind of explain it. But what would you be able to say to somebody who, who's um, listening right now and they've had similar experiences? Uh, speak. Uh, whether it's old, whether it's happened a long, long time ago, or whether you feel that nobody cares or it's or that's all brushed under the rug we don't have to brush things under the rug there's systems in place to help you and they're not perfect but they're they're getting better Mm. there's still work to be done so but that work won't be done things won't get better if we don't continue to push the to be uh, open about to be open and there's no shame. I know I did nothing wrong. For a long time, I thought that, you know, it, maybe it was just me because I didn't suspect that he was hurting my brothers. I was the only girl in the home. I never, ever put blame on anyone. I never blamed my mother or my brothers. Or never really blamed him, for that matter. I took it inward. Because you were a child, right? So yeah, like ch- children don't have that. Capacity. No, we don't have that reasoning skill yet. Mm. Um, yeah, so life went on as usual, but I was still realizing that I was different from my non-native um, family. I was, as a kid, I was quite, uh, I was quite dark, complected. And there was one other boy, one other child, this boy in my school, 
um, who was very dark complected, and he used to tell me, you know, he was he was Indian, and then it, that's the term that we used was Indian, yeah. white, mm-hmm. whatever. And so I thought, wow, well, we we look the same in color. I must be Indian too. So I never really knew I was adopted. I don't think anyone ever really told me that I was, like pointed that out, that I was adopted and that mom and dad and my six brothers were not really my 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 blood or, you know, just didn't have any idea. But I had this friend, Joe. My be- Me and him were like class clowns. We grew up in elementary together. Kind of like Venus and I. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so <laughs> Joe and I grew up in the same uh, subdivision in, in Taintville. It's the big city of Taintville. It's just Taintville. a little... Uh, Taintville is just in between Chatham and Logieville. So uh, it taint Chatham and it taint Logieville. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we... Um, so Joe's family... He had a, quite a large family. I His mom always wore... Uh, long skirts and had very long hair and there was a lot of kids uh, her Joe had probably four or five siblings and they had a nanny like I looked at her like a like a nanny or a housekeeper type person she was always very sweet to me her name is jo- Norma Jean and it, whenever I would go play with Joe um his brother would chase me around and like torture me, like pick on whatever. We're all kids, but Norma Jean would always bring me in and always have a special treat for me. And my first middle name is Toby Leah. So there's not too many people with that combination of name, right? Toby Leah for a girl, especially Toby is either a dog's name or a boy's name. (laughs) So Norma Jean is First Nation, or is Indian, and I never knew that. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so she knew, and it turned out that Norma Jean, their babysitter or their nanny or housekeeper, was, is from Eel Ground First Nation, which is my home community. Wow. Where my biological mom and where I'm from. Mm -hmm. So Norma Jean knew who I was. Matter of fact, we are relatives. Really? Yeah, and her and my mom were quite close. Yeah, cousins. So and cousins. That just happened. Came about it like just, that. Yeah, I don't want to say coincidence because, no. but we can call this God's mysterious way, right? Yeah, that's right. Of bringing uh, things together. Bringing things together, and some of the hippies out there might say the universe is working. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, I don't mean that in any kind of offensive way to the hippies. <laughs> I was almost a hippie. Yeah, I probably could Pretty have been. Pretty close. Yeah, I probably <laughs> was. Um, so Norma Jean must have been in contact with my biological mom, Anne, and told her that I was at the Standrings home quite often playing with the kids there. So me and Joe and Roxanne and Daniel and Isaac and all the kids were outside playing, and this big old boat of a car uh they were used a lot um, yeah, yeah. capri classic maybe <laughs> big long yeah. cars the big that can take two parking spaces now <laughs> exactly yeah so 
Can you imagine a, a how big, much that would cost to fill up? Oh, yeah, and how hard it would Nowadays, be on gas, but... Yeah. Except when it gets rolling. So yeah, I sorry, I don't that's to... okay. I need to be interrupted every once in a while so I can breathe <laughs> and take a drink of coffee. Yes. So this big car pulls in. I just hear loud music and not paying any attention. I'm more worried about Joe's brother chasing me with that with the hatchet. (laughs) 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 And I hear uh, Toby. This woman's voice said Toby, and I look and and just remember, I'm little. I'm still like elementary school age. Yeah, yeah. And I look over and still have no like stranger danger, like. I just, I don't see any bad in the world, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. And she held her hand out the window. And all I remember is there was a, the car was full of people and music. So thinking back as my adult self, I imagine she was probably having a pretty good time drinking and hanging out with people. Okay. And then the alcohol probably gave her the courage to come and look for me. So she held it, this woman held out her hand out the window and had a strip of photos. Um, do you remember in the old malls, there used to be photo booths and mm-hmm. you could get a strip yeah. of photos? That's yep. what it was. And it was of her. So the photos was a strip of photos of her, like just her face. Mm-hmm. And she said, Toby, I'm your mom. And she handed me these photos and I don't even remember how I took that or what I thought, but I remember biking home as fast as I possibly could, gave those photos to my mom, Betty, my adopted mom, and told her what happened. And that kind of just, there was, I don't remember a conversation about it. I don't remember being explained, like anything being explained to me. Um, but later found out that my mom, Anne, my biological mom, would often call my mom and dad, adoptive parents, and ask about me. And my mom, Betty, would often send her photos um. of me and keep her updated on how I was doing, which I never knew until I was an adult and had my own kids, which is kind of neat to discover. Wow. How compassionate my adopted mom was at that time, and how I wasn't forgotten about. My biological mom did look for me and tried to be in contact, and God bless her heart. She um, probably lived most of her life incomplete, you know, like having given birth to four kids, one dying, three living, but three living got taken away and put into care. And was never able to have a relationship. So she lived probably most of her life with a broken heart. Mm. And I never made that easy on her either. And we can get into my... um, So now I'm getting older. I've met my biological mom. I know that I'm adopted. Uh, Did that change things for you? It really did. Like, especially being at that age. Like, I have teenagers now and... It ain't easy. <laughs> it's just <laughs> not. Nobody and ever said it was. Huh? Yeah, no, and nobody ever said life would be fair. And <clears throat> raising kids does not come with a handbook. No, it's just hard. And sometimes you just do whatever works. <laughs> yeah. 
So getting into my um, teenage years, I know I'm different. I know I, I get the feeling that I don't belong. Plus having that trauma happen and nothing really ever being done. Mm. Um, although I didn't like seek justice in a way that I would today. I just didn't know that there was justice. Probably had no clue of what justice was. And I felt the need to to go. Like I just always had this. Even now, as an ad, as an adult, I still have the need to to go and to explore and to find new places and meet new people and discover. <clears throat> so, this one year. Um, my parents got me and all my brothers, uh, there must've been a great sale at Canadian Tire because we all got these really cool BMX bikes <laughs> <clears throat> for Easter. And I don't, I don't imagine it was that same day, but I had decided at one point that I was leaving. <clears throat> I was leaving my home. I was leaving the Dunfield family and I had jumped on my bike and I biked from Taintville into Chatham and then just kept going and going and then eventually I knew there was a place out some out there in the world somewhere that I was from. And I found um Eel Ground and I found my grandmother, my mother's mother. So my biological grandmother, Susie, Jerome, I found her. She took me in and literally took me in as her own. Mm. Uh, there were no more bedrooms in her home, but she took me in and we shared her room. So I slept in the same bed as my grandmother. Uh, we spent a lot of time together. Mm. She was also an active um drinker at that time that I met her but also loving, protective and and caring <clears throat> that being said I met my other family as well so I, I met my mother cousins and oh yeah uh, I met my mother and all of her siblings so aunties and uncles and cousins right so Cousins would be about the same age as I was. And some of us really connected like like siblings. And in the First Nation, in Indian country, cousins can a lot of times be your siblings or can feel like siblings. So if we're not friends, we can be cousins, right? Yeah, we probably are, Mark. <laughs> 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 yep. Even Venus's cousin. Yeah. <laughs> cousin. Yes. <laughs> so <clears throat> eventually, um, so living with my grandmother, Susie, I learned a lot. I learned that you feed anyone who is hungry. Um, she just had that way about her. Mm. Um, I didn't learn anything Christian from my grandmother, although I know she, she grew up, uh, Catholic, I guess, um, because the residential school system and that had happened. And mm. I do remember her saying things like, oh, pray to Saint 
whoever if you lost something. And that, that never sat well with me. I just never understood it. Well, if there's a God, why would you go to his assistant instead of just going straight to the boss? <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> this, my grandmother also would protect me from my mom, my biological mom, because she was quite actively drinking and would take me out with her to um, mm. different places to to go drink. Not for me to drink, but for her to drink. But also, I was just there. Like, I was like the beer runner. So Beer and cigarettes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> ran out, I'd be the one to go to the, run through the trails and, and go to the bootlegger and, and pick up their whatever they needed. And I always felt like unsafe because there were different homes that we would go to where you just knew, stay where you, stay away from those men. They always wanted you to sit on their lap or something, right? Something strange. And being around a bunch of drunk adults and being like this teenager growing up in the world wondering, okay, where, what is right and what isn't? Mm. Who's going to... Like, so I was basically teaching myself and growing up that way, learning. <clears throat> Do you think God was there even in that time? Oh, gosh. He must have, he must have <clears throat> been protecting me a lot. I decided um, to tell my grandmother and my mom and my aunties about what had happened to me with my adopted dad we were they used to play cards a lot so there was a lot of gathering and drinking and playing cards and so i decided to open up one night when everyone was there and it kind of blew up it it they didn't handle it with calmness at all um you know when family gets together it can be quite intense and then mm. if they receive bad news it can just kind of blow up the into emotions are oh really emotions are high and then you add alcohol into the mix it wasn't good so they had gotten the police involved and social workers and things just got really crazy really fast for me i was i think i was still trying to go to school i was in junior high maybe <clears throat> And um, struggling with that uh, experience of my life. I wasn't re respectful of teachers or other students. I was, I was a bit of a fighter, younger. I guess that's your fight or flight. I kind of had a bit of both. <laughs> and I'll get into the flight part of me in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so... Once the police got involved and social workers, they decided that they were going to do what they call now is forensic interviewing. That's where they, back then, they would put you in this room, like with a locked door and um, two-way mirror, mirrors and video cameras. <clears throat> and they would ask me questions over and over and over. Um, but not... How old were you then? I was just into um, middle school, so probably tw 12. 12, maybe. Um, um, but the way they interviewed, they would ask 
the same questions sort of over and over, and they had these um, anatomically correct um, dolls. And they wanted me to show them what had happened with these dolls. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was good that they took action and they were interviewing me and had all this stuff recorded because later on, like years later, when I turned 17, I had my first daughter. <clears throat> and um, she would often, so mom and dad, my abuser and my mom were still in my life, right? Through all this stuff. My dad had admitted to what he... He had apologized to me in front of my First Nation family. It never really went to court or anything, although those interviews were done. Um, charges were not laid because it was basically my word against this man's word, who was uh, a veteran. So did you feel at that point that you were, during that whole process, did you feel re-traumatized? Oh, most definitely. And I felt shame, huge amounts of shame. Shame. I I lost um, all relationship with um, my six brothers, except for Jonathan, because of that, um, he... Didn't hold it against you. No, 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 he didn't know, and like he doesn't still wouldn't know any better or wouldn't understand it, right? But things had just kind of blown up with both of my families. There was no, um, yeah, it was quite intense. Plus being a teenager and trying to navigate the high school experience, <laughs> which I don't remember my high school experience because I was probably hev- never there. <clears throat> I had turned to alcohol and drugs at that point in my life. I was introduced and I was in and out of foster care again at that point because I just wasn't containable. Nobody could um, keep me in a safe place. I just didn't, I was a runner. Like I had been to a few different group homes. I stayed with a foster family as a teenager and they were really good to me and were still in contact. and. Matter of Mm. fact, I was at the grocery store yesterday and ran into an old group home worker. And um, so I still, these people are still parts of my past Mm -hmm. and good positive people that were in my life. I didn't know what to do with all that good stuff back then, you know? How to process it. Yeah, or even how to appreciate that someone was trying to help me, Mm. you know? So I began to run and just leave. Like my fight or flight response, that uh, intuition that each and every one of that that we, that we all have. Yeah. Um, the fighting wasn't getting me anywhere, except into more trouble. But the flight part was adventurous and fun and exciting. And get to see new places. Yeah, and I got to forget. So I was, I was um, kicked out of my regular school and put into an ACES program for um, troubled kids and got to learn in a different environment. And I still wasn't getting along very well in that um, place 
because of my attitude and just being a teenager. Mm. And if there's teenagers out there listening, oh my gosh, when you double your age, you're going to go back to your parents and tell them how sorry you were, <laughs> which is what I had done. Um, <clears throat> hey everybody, Grant Fawcett here, just jumping in uh, to conclude today's episode. Mark and Venus will continue their conversation in two weeks with Toby right here on Hope to the Nations. This has been a broadcast of Arrowhead Radio, a ministry of Arrowhead Native Bible Center. Visit our website at arrowheadnbc.com for more information. Look for a new episode next week wherever you find your favorite podcasts.